0: section three of a budget of christmas tales this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by larry wilson a christmas carol by charles dickens stave three the second of the three spirits awakening in the middle of a prodigiously tough snore and sitting up in bed to get his thoughts together scrooge had no occasion to be told that the bell was again upon the stroke of one he felt that he was restored to consciousness in the right nick of time for the especial purpose of holding a conference with the second messenger dispatched to him through jacob marley's intervention but finding that he turned uncomfortably cold when he began to wonder which of his curtains this new spectre would draw back he put them every one aside with his own hands and lying down again established a sharp lookout all around the bed for he wished to challenge the spirit on the moment of its appearance and did not wish to be taken by surprise and made nervous now being prepared for almost anything he was not by any means prepared for nothing and consequently when the bell struck one, and no shape appeared, he was taken with a violent fit of trembling. Five minutes, ten minutes, a quarter of the hour went by. Yet nothing came. All this time he lay upon his bed, the very core and center of a blaze of ruddy light which streamed upon it when the clock proclaimed the hour, and which being only light was more alarming than a dozen ghosts, as he was powerless to make out what it meant. At last, however, he began to think that the source and secret of this ghostly light might be in the adjoining room, from whence, on further tracing it, it seemed to shine. This idea taking full possession of his mind, he got up softly and shuffled in his slippers to the door. The moment Scrooge's hand was on the lock, a strange voice called him by his name and bade him enter he obeyed it was his own room There was no doubt about that but it had undergone a surprising transformation the walls and ceiling were so hung with living green that it looked a perfect grove from every part of which bright gleaming berries glistened the crisp leaves of holly mistletoe and ivy reflected back the light as if so many little mirrors had been scattered there and such a mighty blaze went roaring up the chimney as that dull petrifaction of a hearth had never known in scrooge's time or marley's or for many and many a winter season gone heaped upon the floor to form a kind of throne were turkeys geese game poultry brawn great joints of meat suckling pigs long wreaths of sausages mince pies plum puddings Barrels of oysters, red-hot chestnuts, Cherry-checked apples, juicy oranges, Luscious pears, and immense twelfth cakes That made the chamber dim with their delicious steam. In easy state upon this couch there sat a jolly giant, Glorious to see, who bore a glowing torch In shape not unlike Plenty's horn, And held it up, high up to shed its light on Scrooge As he came peeping round the door. Come in, exclaimed the ghost. Come in, and know me better, man. Scrooge entered timidly and hung his head before the spirit. He was not the dogged Scrooge he had been, and though the spirit's eyes were clear and kind, he did not like to meet them. I am the ghost of Christmas present, said the spirit. Look upon me. You have never seen the like of me before, exclaimed the spirit. Never, Scrooge made to answer it. Have never walked forth with the younger members of my family, meaning, for I am very young, my elder brothers born these later years, pursued the phantom. I don't think I have, said Scrooge. I am afraid I have not. You have had many brothers, Spirit? More than eighteen hundred, said the ghost. "'A tremendous family to provide for,' muttered Scrooge. "'The ghost of Christmas present rose. "'Spirit,' said Scrooge submissively, "'conduct me where you will. "'I went forth last night on compulsion, "'and I learnt a lesson which is working now. "'To-night, if you have aught to teach me, "'let me profit by it.' "'Touch my robe.' Scrooge did as he was told, and held it fast. The whole scene vanished instantly, and they stood in the city streets on Christmas morning, where, for the weather was severe, the people made a rough but brisk and not unpleasant kind of music in scraping the snow from the pavement in front of their dwellings and from the tops of their houses, whence it was mad delight to the boys to see it plumping down into the road below and splitting into artificial little snowstorms perhaps it was the pleasure the good spirit had in showing his sympathy with all poor men that led him straight to scrooge's clerks for there he went and took scrooge with him holding to his robe and on the threshold of the door the spirit smiled and stopped to bless bob cratchit's dwelling with the sprinklings of his torch then up rose mrs cratchit cratchit's wife dressed out but poorly in a twice turned gown but brave in ribbons which are cheap and make a goodly show and she laid the cloth assisted by belinda cratchit second of her daughters also brave in ribbons while master peter cratchit plunged a fork into the saucepan of potatoes and now two smaller cratchits boy and girl came tearing in screaming that outside the baker's they had smelt the goose and known it for their own what has ever got your precious father then said mrs cratchit and your brother tiny tim and martha weren't as late last christmas day by half an hour here's martha mother said a girl appearing as she spoke here's martha mother cried the two young cratchits hurrah there's such a goose martha why bless your heart alive my dear how late you are said mrs cratchit kissing her a dozen times and taking off her shawl and bonnet for her with officious zeal We'd a deal of work to finish up last night, replied the girl, and had to clear away this morning, mother. Well, never mind, so long as you are come, said Mrs. Cratchit. Sit ye down before the fire, my dear, and have a warm, Lord bless ye. No, no, there's father coming, cried the two young Cratchits, who were everywhere at once. Hide, Martha, hide! So Martha hid herself, and in came little Bob the father with at least three feet of comforter, exclusive of the fringe, hanging down before him, and his threadbare clothes darned up and brushed to look seasonable, and Tiny Tim upon his shoulder. Alas, for Tiny Tim, he bore a little crutch and had his limbs supported by an iron frame. Why, where is our Martha? cried Bob Cratchit, looking round. Not coming, said Mrs. Cratchit not coming said bob with a sudden declension in his high spirits for he had been tim's blood-horse all the way from church and had come home rampant not coming upon christmas day martha didn't like to see him disappointed if it were only in joke so-so she came out prematurely from behind the closet door and ran into his arms while the two young cratchits hustled tiny tim and bore him off into the wash-house that he might hear the pudding singing in the copper and how did little tim behave asked mrs cratchit when she had rallied bob in his credulity and bob had hugged his daughter to his heart's content as good as gold said bob and better somehow he gets thoughtful sitting by himself so much and thinks the strangest things you ever heard he told me coming home that he hoped the people saw him in the church because he was a cripple and it might be pleasant to them to remember upon christmas day who made lame beggars walk and blind men see bob's voice was tremulous when he told them this and trembled more when he said that tiny tim was growing strong and hearty his active little crutch was heard upon the floor and back came tiny tim before another word was spoken escorted by his brother and sister to his stool beside the fire and master peter and the two ubiquitous young cratchits went to fetch the goose with which they soon returned in high procession mrs cratchit made the gravy ready beforehand in a little saucepan hissing hot master peter mashed the potatoes with incredible vigor miss belinda sweetened up the applesauce martha dusted the hot plates Bob took Tiny Tim beside him in a tiny corner at the table. The two young Cratchits set chairs for everybody, not forgetting themselves, and mounting guard upon their posts crammed spoons into their mouths lest they should shriek for goose before their turn came to be helped. At last the dishes were set on, and Grace was said. It was succeeded by a breathless pause as Mrs. Cratchit, looking slowly all along the carving knife, prepared to plunge it in the breast but when she did and when the long expected gush of stuffing issued forth one murmur of delight arose all around the board and even tiny tim excited by the two young cratchits beat on the table with the handle of his knife and feebly cried hurrah there never was such a goose bob said he didn't believe there ever was such a goose cooked its tenderness and flavor size and cheapness were the themes of universal admiration eked out by apple sauce and mashed potatoes it was a sufficient dinner for the whole family indeed as mrs cratchit said with great delight surveying one small atom of a bone upon the dish they hadn't ate it all at last yet every one had had enough but now the plates being changed by miss belinda mrs cratchit left the room alone too nervous to bear witness to take the pudding up and bring it in oh a wonderful pudding bob cratchit said and calmly too that he regarded it as the greatest success achieved by mrs cratchit since their marriage mrs cratchit said that now the weight was off her mind she would confess she had her doubts about the quantity of flour everybody had something to say about it but nobody said or thought it was at all a small pudding for a large family. It would have been very flat heresies to do so. Any Cratchit would have blushed to hint at such a thing. At last the dinner was all done. The cloth was cleaned, the hearth swept, and the fire made up. Apples and oranges were put upon the table, and a shovel full of chestnuts on the fire. Then all the Cratchit family drew round the hearth, in what bob Cratchit called the circle meaning half a one then bob proposed a merry christmas to all my dears god bless us which all the family re-echoed god bless us every one said tiny tim the last of all he sat very close to his father's side upon his little stool bob held his withered little hand in his as if he loved the child and wished to keep him by his side, and dreaded that he might be taken from him. Spirit, said Scrooge, with an interest he had never felt before, tell me if Tiny Tim will live. I see a vacant seat, replied the ghost, in the poor chimney corner, and a crutch without an owner, carefully preserved. IF THESE SHADOWS REMAIN UNALTERED BY THE FUTURE, THE CHILD WILL DIE. NO, NO, SAID SCROOGE. OH, NO, KIND SPIRIT, SAY THEY WILL BE SPARED. IF THESE SHADOWS REMAIN UNALTERED BY THE FUTURE, NONE OTHER OF MY RACE, RETURNED THE GHOST, WILL FIND HIM HERE. WHAT THEN? If he be like to die, he had better do it and decrease the surplus population. Scrooge hung his head to hear his own words quoted by the spirit and was overcome with penitence and grief. Man, said the ghost, if man you be in heart, not adamant, forbear that wicked cant until you have discovered what the surplus is and where it is. Will you decide what men shall live, what men shall die? It may be that in the sight of heaven, you are more worthless and less fit to live than millions like this poor man's child. O oh God, to hear the insect on the leaf pronouncing on um, the too much life among his hungry brothers in the dust, Scrooge bent before the ghost's rebuke, and trembling cast his eyes upon the ground, but raised them speedily on hearing his own name. Mr. Scrooge, said Bob, I'll give you, Mr. Scrooge, the founder of the feast. The founder of the feast, indeed, cried Mrs. Cratchit, reddening. I wish I had him here. I'd give him a piece of my mind to feast upon, and I hope he'd have a good appetite for it. MY DEAR, SAID BOB, THE CHILDREN, CHRISTMAS DAY. SCROOGE WAS THE OGRE OF THE FAMILY. THE MENTION OF HIS NAME CAST A DARK SHADOW ON THE PARTY, WHICH WAS NOT DISPELLED FOR FULL FIVE MINUTES. AFTER IT HAD PASSED AWAY, THEY WERE TEN TIMES MERRIER THAN BEFORE, FROM THE MERE RELIEF OF SCROOGE THE BELLFUL BEING DONE WITH. BOB CRATCHIT TOLD THEM HOW HE HAD A SITUATION IN HIS EYE FOR MASTER PETER the two young cratchits laughed tremendously at the idea of peter's being a man of business and peter himself looked thoughtfully at the fire from between his collars as if he were deliberating what particular investments he should favor when he came into receipt of the bewildering income martha who was a poor apprentice at a milliner's then told them what kind of work she had to do and how many hours she worked at a stretch and how she meant to be abed to-morrow morning for a good long rest to-morrow being a holiday she passed at home also how she had seen a countess and a lord some days before and how the lord was much about as tall as peter at which peter pulled up his collar so high that you couldn't have seen his head if you had been there by and by they had a song about a lost child travelling in the snow from tiny tim who had a plenty of little voice and sang it very well indeed there was nothing of a high mark in this they were not a handsome family they were not well dressed their shoes were far from being waterproof their clothes were scanty and peter might have known and very likely did the inside of a pawnbroker's but they were happy grateful pleased with one another and contented with the time and when they faded and looked happier yet in the bright sprinkling on the spirit's torch at parting scrooge had his eye upon them and especially on tiny tim until the last by this time it was getting dark and snowing pretty heavily and as scrooge and the spirit went along the streets the brightness of the roaring fires in the kitchens parlors and all sorts of rooms was wonderful here the flickering of the blaze showed preparations for a cozy dinner with hot plates baking through and through before the fire and deep red curtains ready to be drawn to shut out cold and darkness there all the children of the house were running out into the snow to meet their married sisters brothers cousins uncles aunts and be the first to greet them it was a great surprise to scrooge that he meditated on these scenes to hear a hearty laugh it was a much greater surprise to scrooge to recognize it as his own nephews and to find himself in a bright, dry, gleaming room with a spirit standing smiling by his side and looking at the same nephew with approving affability. Ha ha laughed Scrooge's nephew. Ha ha ha! If you should happen, by any unlikely chance, to know a man more blessed in a laugh than Scrooge's nephew, all I can say is I should like to know him too. Introduce him to me, and I'll cultivate his acquaintance. It is a fair, even-handed, noble adjustment of things, that while there is infection in disease and sorrow, there is nothing in the world so irresistibly contagious as laughter and good humor. When Scrooge's nephew laughed in this way, holding his sides, rolling his head, and twisting his face into the most extravagant contortions, Scrooge's niece, by marriage, laughed as heartily as he, and their assembled friends, being not a bit behinded, roared out lustily <laughs> he said that christmas was a humbug as i live cried scrooge's nephew he believed it too more shame for him fred said scrooge's niece indignantly bless those women they never do anything by halves they are always in earnest she was very pretty exceedingly pretty with a dimpled surprised-looking capital face a ripe little mouth that seemed made to be kissed as no doubt it was all kinds of good little dots about her chin that melted into one another when she laughed and the sunniest pair of eyes you ever saw in any little creature's head altogether she was what you would have called provoking you know but satisfactory too oh perfectly satisfactory he's a comical old fellow said scrooge's nephew that's the truth and not so pleasant as he might be however his offenses carry their own punishment and i have nothing to say against him i have no patience with him observed scrooge's niece scrooge's niece's sisters and all the other ladies expressed the same opinion oh i have said scrooge's nephew i am sorry for him i couldn't be angry with him if i tried who suffers by his ill whims himself always here he takes it into his head to dislike us and he won't come in and dine with us what's the consequence he don't lose much of a dinner indeed i think he loses a very good dinner interrupted scrooge's niece everybody else said the same and they must be allowed to have been competent judges because they had just had dinner and with the dessert upon the table were clustered round the fire by lamplight well i am very glad to hear it said scrooge's nephew because i haven't any great faith in these young housekeepers what do you say topper topper had clearly got his eye upon one of scrooge's niece's sisters for he answered that a bachelor was a wretched outcast who had no right to express an opinion on the subject whereat scrooge's niece's sister the plump one with the lace tucker not the one with the roses blushed do go on fred said scrooge's niece clapping her hands he never finishes what he begins to say he is such a ridiculous fellow i was only going to say said scrooge's nephew that the consequence of his taking a dislike to us and not making merry with us is as i think that he loses some pleasant moments which could do him no harm I am sure he loses pleasanter companions than he can find in his own thoughts, either in his mouldy old office or his dusty chambers. I mean to give him the same chance every year, whether he likes it or not, for I pity him. He may wail at Christmas till he dies, but he can't help thinking better of it. I defy him, if he finds me going there in good temper year after year and saying, uncle scrooge how are you if it only puts him in the vein to leave his poor clerk fifty pounds that's something and i think i shook him yesterday it was their turn to laugh now at the notion of his shaking scrooge but being thoroughly good-natured and not much caring what they laughed at so that they laughed at any rate he encouraged them in their merriment after tea they had some music scrooge's niece played well and played among other tunes a simple little air a mere nothing you might learn to whistle it in two minutes which had been familiar to the child who fetched scrooge from the boarding-school as he had been reminded by the ghost of christmas past when this strain of music sounded all the things that the ghost had shown him came upon his mind he softened more and more and thought that if he could have listened to it often years ago he might have cultivated the kindnesses of life for his own happiness with his own hands, without resorting to the sexton spade that buried Jacob Marley. But they didn't devote the whole evening to music. After a while they played at forfeits, for it is good to be children sometimes, and never better than at Christmas when its mighty founder was a child himself. Stop. THERE WAS FIRST A GLORIOUS GAME AT BLIND MAN'S BLUFF. OF COURSE THERE WAS, AND I NO MORE BELIEVE TOPPER WAS REALLY BLIND THAN I BELIEVE HE HAD EYES IN HIS BOOTS. MY OPINION IS THAT IT WAS A DONE THING BETWEEN HIM AND SCROOGE'S NEPHEW, AND THAT THE GHOST OF CHRISTMAS PRESENT KNEW IT. THE WAY HE WENT AFTER THAT PLUMP SISTER IN THE LACE TUCKER WAS AN OUTRAGE ON THE CREDULITY OF HUMAN NATURE knocking down the fire irons tumbling over the chairs bubbling up against the piano smothering himself amongst the curtains wherever she went there he went he always knew where the plump sister was he wouldn't catch anybody else if you had fallen up against him as some of them did on purpose he would have made a feint of endeavouring to seize you which would have been an affront to your understanding and would instantly have sidled off in the direction of the plump sister she often cried out that it wasn't fair and it really was not but when at last he caught her when in spite of all her silken rustlings and her rapid flutterings past him he got her into a corner whence there was no escape then his conduct was the most execrable for his pretending not to know her his pretending that it was necessary to touch her headdress and further to assure himself of her identity by pressing a certain ring upon her finger and a certain chain about her neck, was vile, monstrous. No doubt she told him her opinion of it when another blind man being in office they were so very confidential together behind the curtains. Scrooge's niece was not one of the blind man's bluff party, but was made comfortable with a large chair and a footstool in a snug corner where the ghost and scrooge were close behind her but she joined in the forfeits and loved her love to admiration with all the letters of the alphabet likewise at the game of how when and where she was very great and to the secret joy of scrooge's nephew beat her sisters hollow though they were sharp girls too as topper could have told you there might have been twenty people there young and old but they all played and so did scrooge for wholly forgetting in the interest he had in what was going on that his voice made no sound in their ears he sometimes came out with his guess quite loud and very often guessed right too for the sharpest needle warranted not to cut in the eye was not sharper than scrooge blunt as he took it in his head to be the ghost was greatly pleased to find him in this mood and looked upon him with such favour that he begged like a boy to be allowed to stay until the guests departed. But this, the Spirit said, could not be done. The whole scene passed off, and he and the Spirit were again upon their travels. Much they saw, and far they went, and many homes they visited, but always with a happy end. The Spirit stood beside sick beds, and they were cheerful on foreign lands and they were close at home by struggling men and they were patient in their greater hope by poverty and it was rich in almshouse, hospital and jail in misery's every refuge where vain man in his little brief authority had not made fast the door and barred the spirit out he left his blessing and taught scrooge his precepts it was a long night if it were only a night. But Scrooge had his doubts of this, because the Christmas holidays appeared to be condensed into the space of time they passed together. It was strange, too, that while Scrooge remained unaltered in his outward form, the ghost grew older, clearly older. "'Forgive me if I am not justified in what I ask,' said Scrooge, looking intently at the spirit's robe but i see something strange and not belonging to yourself protruding from your skirts is it a foot or a claw it might be a claw for the flesh there is upon it was the spirit's sorrowful reply look here from the foldings of its robes it brought two children wretched abject frightful hideous miserable they knelt down at his feet and clung upon the outside of its garment they were a boy and a girl yellow meagre ragged scowling wolfish but prostrate too in their humility where graceful youth should have filled their features out and touched them with its freshest tints a stale and shriveled hand like that of age had pinched and twisted them and pulled them into shreds where angels might have sat enthroned devils lurked and glared out menacing no change no degradation no perversion of humanity in any grade through all the mysteries of wonderful creation has monsters half so terrible and dread. scrooge started back appalled Having them shown to him in this way, he tried to say they were fine children, but the words choked themselves, rather than be parties to a, a lie of such enormous magnitude. Spirit, are they yours? Scrooge could say no more. They are man's, said the spirit, looking down upon them. And they cling to me, appealing from their father's this boy is ignorance this girl is want beware of them both and all of their degree but most of all beware of this boy have they no refuge or resource cried scrooge are there no prisons said the spirit turning on him for the last time with his own words are there no workhouses the bell struck twelve. Scrooge looked about him for the ghost and saw it not. As the last stroke ceased to vibrate, he remembered the prediction of old Jacob Marley, and lifting up his eyes, beheld a solemn phantom, draped and hooded, coming like a mist, along the ground toward him. End of section three.